And welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com, and I am joined by Justin Yeager, also from The Next Reel. Hey, JJ. Hey, glad to be here. Glad to have you. We are, of course, still talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And on today's show, we are looking at Minute 24, which starts with Tony needing welding gear and ends with Tony cracking open one of his missiles. Mm. Let's get cracking. Let's get cracking. This is a minute of action. The last minute, Tony was very uh, subdued, subdued, depressed, kind of had given up. And only at the tail end do we see him make that shift and make that decision that's going to kick into high gear. And he's really going to start doing something we still don't know exactly what that is. What's your sense of that? Do you feel like we as an audience, the way that they've scripted this, do we know what Tony's doing? Or is there any hint that we think Tony is actually just building a Jericho missile for these guys? I kind of don't think so. Obviously, because we all go to this movie thinking this is Iron Man. Sure. I, I think most people can take the leap to think that he's doing something for himself here. I guess the thing that I think I like most about this is that it shows Tony as a character that he doesn't get down for long, that his his subdued or his depression, his his hopelessness only lasts as long until his brain can think around it and think for something to do to overcome it. And I think that's what I like most about this is because that's consistent with the Tony that I am familiar with from the comic books, that he's this kind of genius that's constantly working towards things, except for when he's in the throes of, of alcohol abuse. But that's a whole different story. Uh, the thing right. is that when he's threatened or when there's seems to be nothing but despair, he's always working to find something to get through it. And I think you could compare this to uh, make this very consistent uh, a consistent aspect of the character as we go through and we look at what he does with the Avengers later on. You know, the whole idea of his leading to creating different things to to eliminate threats before they happen. This is how his brain works. And I think that this minute shows how quickly his brain works and how resilient it is to say, okay, uh, hopelessness be, be gone. It's time to work. And uh, I think they do it well here. They really do. Uh, the way that he is portrayed, it is a very strong character. And he clearly shows his leadership side here as he's yeah. kicking into to gear and telling people what he needs. And and I need this and I need that. And Yinsen does a great job of, of rapid fire translation for him, putting this whole list together of all the needs that Tony has. Tony's list in the script is is much more lengthy mm. than it's actually funny the way that it's scripted in the script the way that it works out when Tony finally makes this transition it starts off with him saying S category missiles lot 7043 the S30 oh. explosive tritonal and a dozen of the S76 mortars M class number 1 4 8 20 and 60 M229s I need 11 of these mines the pre 90s AP5s and AP16s you see wow. Abu's men dart about. And then he says, this area, free of clutter with good light. I wanted at 12 o'clock to the door to avoid log jams. And then it kicks in where we cut in in the script. I need welding gear, acetylene or propane, helmets, a soldering setup with goggles and smelting cups, yeah. two full sets of precision tools. So that's the point that we actually come in. And it's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that's on his mind, clearly. Editing for clarity here, I think. Right. I mean, it, it, you, I get we the don't point. need any of that. But exactly. it's not necessary. 
fun that it's in the script, though. That's great. And what's funny is it comes back to it, and he says, finally, I want three pairs of tube socks, white, <laughs> a toothbrush, protein powder, spices, sugar, five pounds of tea, cards, he thinks, and then, and a washing machine, top load. <laughs> and then as Yinsen oh. translated it, it says, Abu's eyes bulge. He gets in Tony's face. And then Abu says in Arabic, a washing machine? Does he think I'm a fool? And th- then Tony says to Abu, must have everything. Great Satan make big boom kill for powerful <laughs> Abu Bakar. Big boom kill. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's a little much. I I, I get where they're oh. like, that's a comedy. I guess that's a joke line. But I wonder if they did yeah. it. I wonder if they did it. I wonder if they shot that. Um, I don't know. I'm very curious too. They don't, they didn't get to a point where it became a deleted scene. So if they right. did shoot it, they, just, <laughs> I think smartly decided to cut it much earlier yes. on. Well, and one thing too <laughs> is that they, so Tony, and I think this is a tribute to Robert Downey Jr. It really is that he never becomes a clown in any of the films. Like even when he's being no. self-deprecating, he never, he's not one to mock in that way. He would be one to mock with guile and with, you know, sort of brilliance, not with exaggerated sarcasm. So I think it was appropriate to cut it for whatever reason they did. I'm sure that I can't even imagine Robert Downey Jr. delivering that line. So I can't imagine others doing it, but not, not him nor Tony would do that, I think. Yeah. It goes to, in an earlier minute, we hit, uh, when he was gambling in Vegas, we talked about this moment in the script where he's basically flirting with this girl with him. Sure. And his flirtation was so over the top, the way it was written. It was like this science talk about the the nature of how bodies flirt and what chemical reactions are happening right now. And it was insane. And I'm like, I can't even imagine them shooting this. Right. But what I what I think is interesting for uh, sometimes for scripts to have moments like this that are still scripted, even if they end up never getting shot, is that it still allows you uh, and allows them as they're working with these characters to get a little extra bit of who that character right. is. So it becomes go, instructive okay, to is... the actors. It, it exactly. says, and and really, I mean, I, I, I know that scene. I don't remember it exactly. But I, the interesting thing you would say is that Robert Downey Jr. took that and said, this is who Tony is. So now how do I, how is, how am I Tony in this? And that's where you get his version of intelligent flirting, right? That's a little bit more subtle and a little bit more with guile, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I love that. I love that, that they're doing that in the script. I'm really glad they didn't shoot that either. (laughs) Or at least, or at least it didn't come out in the film, you know, great editing or however it worked out. Right. Yeah. Smarter minds. There you go. We do see as the team uh, behind of of the guards and terrorists are working, we see some uh, familiar faces. Uh, obviously, they're they're working with Abu and talking to him. But we see um, Ahmed and Omar, two of our guards that we're most regularly with. We see them helping in the background. We see an actor named uh, Dastan Khalili. He's one of the guards helping. And I believe I see Ray Siegel, who is another, as we've said, utility stunt player, who is in there working. There's a bunch of other faces that I couldn't quite pinpoint, but a lot of people busy and working in the background here. Interesting. Yeah. And they, yeah. I mean, they, they're not just background. They're actually credited in some cases, right? The main ones are Ahmed, Omar are credited, Dastin Khalili, he's credited as a guard. He's not named like Ahmed and Omar are. Interesting. Yeah. So it's it's always interesting to see which ones end up getting the names right? and, uh, and which ones just are guard or which ones 
don't even get credited. Yeah. And there's a lot of politics on the back end of that in Hollywood. I'll just <laughs> say that. Oh, sure. From a credit sure, perspective, absolutely. like getting a credit is a major, major deal <laughs> in the unions yeah. and everything. So having a name versus having something else is, is, is a really big sort of bureaucracy. And it's funny because a lot of times it falls to if you end up saying a line, then you get uh, you'll have at least a credit, even right. if it's like policeman number two right. or something like that. Yep. They'll still have to throw it in there. But I'm finding that sometimes with the utility stunt players, they don't end up getting credited as an actor, only as the utility stunt player. I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, but that it has to do something with literally the amount of screen time that you have and your face has on it. So the reason why you get a lot of policemen number twos is because they don't necessarily get lines, but their face is recognizable for a certain amount of time. So they're required to have a credit. I don't know. And I don't know the, the, the basis of the rule for it, but that's what I've heard in relationship to the Screen Actors Guild in particular. Which I think makes sense. And, you know, you'll see those faces that, I mean, you can, you can build an entire uh, performance in a film around a character who never speaks. Totally. And you'll know who they are because their face is so familiar. Right. I think that's the key is that it's, it's, uh, becomes recognizable to a point where you can point them out. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, I guess Dastin Khalili was one of those who they said he's recognizable enough. Let's credit him as guard. <laughs> so. <laughs> So there he is. Oh, yeah. Um, we go from the uh, the craziness of the team trying to put uh, put everything together and assemble everything for Tony so that he can get to work. We have a quick little transition shot back to the exterior, just looking at where we are, seeing this bowl in the mountains where the terrorists are hiding in out. In case you forgot. In case you forgot. And it is full day, full on daytime, right. which is an interesting uh, transition for us since all the cave stuff is so dark. It's nice to kind of put it in context where it's probably full day outside. We're just seeing it all in the in the cave in the darkness. Right. And then we come into uh, Tony and Yinsen's cell as as they are busy working away. We have Tony doing a little operation on on a missile here, and we have a great little conversation that is nice to see. And this is where we learn more about these terrorists. I, I think it's odd. Well, I, I don't know. Is it odd that we have these terrorists who speak, as Yinsen says, Arabic, Urdu, Dari, Pashtu, Mongolian, Farsi, and Russian? If, is it necessary? It's. I, I think it's actually setting us up for a joke that we'll have in a little bit. Okay. So I guess well, I guess I'll save that until we get to that joke. Right. Because it is an awful lot of languages. But as I was thinking about it, it made me scratch my head a little bit. And because, you know, you have these these terrorist groups and you you get these news stories all the time about these people in different parts of the world who, for whatever reason, decide they want to join that terrorist group and they'll fly over to whatever part of the world it is and become a member of them. Right. And it made me realize, you know, there are probably a ton of different languages being spoken in these terrorist groups, not just you know, what I would presume would be like uh, one of the Afghanistan languages or or something else that is a Middle, a Middle Eastern language, uh, wherever they happen to be based. Right. So I was like, you know, it probably makes sense that they have all these languages there. Yeah. It's mind boggling to think that 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 these sorts of I mean, are they gangs? Are they what, you know, these groups of terrorists, are they cells? You know, how, how do they communicate and how do they do what they do? I, I think 
it, it's probably accurate. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to think that this kind of stuff actually happens uh, on the other side of the world. Right. And we shouldn't even just pinpoint it to the other side of the world. Really, it could happen anywhere. I suppose you're right. Yeah. It's the sad nature of it. New Mexico. It, it, this just ra- recently happened there. Is that accurate? That there was a, uh, I, a training camp there that was uh, uncovered? It's just, yeah, it's hard to keep up with all the crazy news these days, but that sounds like something that's really is. most recently there. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we actually do have the verbal introduction of the Ten Rings. So this is that moment where we put that image of the flag that we saw earlier right. and it verify, yes, it is actually the Ten Rings terrorist group. It's nice to see. It's I, I wonder, I didn't know anything about Iron Man's backstory, but I wonder if people who were fans of Iron Man ended up being disappointed with the film when we introduced the Ten Rings, but then the Mandarin never shows up. <laughs> Are you saying whether there's something to corroborate that in the books? I don't no, think no. so. I'm just, I, I, I just think it's odd. Like, you know, they, they decided to keep the Ten Rings in. And we talked about how the Mandarin was in some of the earlier drafts and they kind of got rid of him in place of Obadiah Stane. Right. But it does make me wonder if, uh, if keeping the Ten Rings in here was kind of an odd choice or uh, because it would have made some people go, well, where's the Mandarin and, and, and lead to something odd. Or if it uh, was kind of just a fun little Easter egg nod. Wow. I, I feel like it's more the former, that that it's just sort of relics of the original story or, you know, the, the sort of thing that they didn't want to necessarily take out. And it works as an Easter egg nod, too. So that's probably why they leave it in at that point. But again, I'm a big fan of the Iron Man books and everything, and I didn't even think of Ten Rings connecting to Mandarin until you brought it up to me two minutes ago. Uh, so um, <laughs> I think it's one of those deep cuts that, again, if, if I were doing this sort of evaluation when I watched the film, I would have paid attention to. But otherwise, it's just kind of a neat thing to have in the background. And I have to just say, I didn't even pinpoint that either. Somebody else who was much bigger fan than me <laughs> pointed it out to me. There we go. Told me about that Easter egg. I'm like, oh, okay. Nice. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, we do have a little Arabic being spoken in the scene when we have Abu and uh, some of his men watching on the screen. There's some talk, and Abu asks his man who's operating the the or sitting at the at the monitor station. He asks, "Can you zoom in in Arabic? In Arabic? Yeah. Yes." I like getting these little translations. It's interesting to kind of get these notes to sure. go, oh, okay, that's what they're talking about here. Yeah. Have to trust it on its own without the without the help of a translator. Yeah. Anything else that you have for this minute? Not anything else in particular. I think the the key thing that is interesting is there's been some question about whether Tony is Tony's keeping Jensen from knowing the plans of what's going on. Right. And they, they address that. And there's two thoughts to it that are maybe both accurate. And that's that he's doing that to protect him. And so that he can't be used in the same way that Tony's being used here in the future and also to protect himself so that he, because he doesn't necessarily trust him hundred percent. I think that's obviously Jensen becomes such an important person for Tony in this first third of this movie. And there's in the books, this sort of figure or in this, the history, this sort of figure is important to him about how he develops the Iron Man suit and costume and the whole bit, his whole thing. But I think at this point in the story, when you, when he asks that, I think it's interesting to point out that Tony's doing this all on his own and he's using Jensen more as a as a butler, sort of, or a, a, as a Jarvis, you know, what Jarvis becomes for him later and on. And that's interesting because in the, in the comic, 
Jensen, uh, granted, I mean, it's a not exactly different the same, story yeah. construction, but when Jensen is thrown into the cell, uh, Tony's there first, and then Jensen's thrown into the cell. Tony, uh, right away, it says, no longer able to work in secret, Anthony Stark must reveal his plan to the aged scholar, the only human he dares trust. See, that, and that's what I mean. Like, does he trust him now or does he not? It, with this, they kind of just start to explore that here in the movie. Also, I think it's just storytelling convention that fits very well with Hollywood storytelling yeah. where it's kind of the show don't tell and what what they're doing is doing a great setup payoff he's not going to tell Yinsen and by uh, default he's not telling us either and then we get to go through this exploration of seeing what is he doing what is this thing happening and then we get a reveal later of kind of what it is and that becomes the oh cool right. and it kind of gives us that little sense of excitement makes us have a representative on screen for the audience. I think that's that's smart storytelling as well. Yep, definitely is. Well, I think that's it for this minute. JJ, uh, where can people find you? Well, check us out on thenextreel.com. I'm, I'm one of the thugs. I host the film board once a month doing a film that comes out in theaters and we do a show right after it so you can get good and spoiled on it. I also guest on Trailer Rewind episodes with Steve Sarmento where we talk about films that are streaming that you may have missed in theaters but might be a good bet to try to check out on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or any of those fun things. So go to thenextreel.com to find out more about those other shows that are in our family that I participate with. Fantastic. And that's also a monthly show, right? Yes. Yeah, we do that once a month as well. Uh, not always the same time, but uh, we jump around and, and try to see what works for us. Perfect. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. That's it. Um, make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, true believers. <laughs> <laughs>